Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with performance and how to improve the human experience. Twice a week, I explore the latest science, technology, and tactics with experts in various fields of human optimization. I'm your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Superhumans. Today is round two with Elite HRV founder and CEO, Jason Moore. Now, Jason and his family, as well as myself, had the pleasure of catching up together over, I believe it was brunch in Asheville, North Carolina a couple of months ago, and we just continue to have these great conversations. And because heart rate variability is one of my favorite topics, I invited Jason to come back on the show to talk a little bit more about HRV. And so today we get into quite a bit, uh, things like what gadget should you be using to measure your heart rate variability, how to evaluate these gadgets, and why some of the more popular ones may not be the best source for getting the most accurate HRV data. Then we get into something that Josh Waiskin brought up on another podcast called Resonant Breathing Frequency. And I am obsessed with this ever since I heard Josh talk about it. And Jason lays out a way that you can find it both in the Elite HRV app, but also what it actually means and how it could benefit you. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash HRV 2 That's elite as in how elite is spelled, HRV as in the letters, the number two. Enjoy my episode with the entertaining, the fun, the super knowledgeable Jason Moore. Jason Moore, welcome back. Boomer, I appreciate it. Glad to be here and uh, thanks for reaching out. You know, it's not often that I get to hang out with podcast guests as well as their families uh, in person. So I was, you know, it was great to catch up with you in Asheville a few, it's almost a few months ago now. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, my baby's about four months old now. And I think you met her when she was about one month or somewhere in there. And just to recap, because the listeners who are tuning into this may put some dots together and realize that since the last time you've been on the show, you're now a father. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's probably been uh, one of the largest changes to my life in recent years, aside from Elite HRV, and one of the largest impacts acutely and also chronically on my HRV and my health and my outlook on the universe. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, you know, fellow nerds unite. I was going to ask you that question and start to nerd out about what's the effects of having a child on your HRV? I mean, maybe give us sort of the first weekend view. Sure. So, you know, we'll have to be careful saying what's cause and effect, right? Because <laughs> you can't do it in isolation. <laughs> that's right. And uh, and some people might choose to just ignore their baby and go about their life, at which point their HRV may not change. Um, however, it was a huge change for me and for Alyssa. Um, Alyssa's HRV changed drastically throughout the pregnancy um, and then also definitely around the birth and after the birth. Uh, we both signif- significantly experienced decreases in our HRV um, and prim- primarily probably also uh, in relation to sleep disruption. 
And so that's a big one. Um, but I will say that uh, this is a really quick aside, I hope, is that you know sometimes when you go on vacation, you become a little bit more resilient to choices that are a little more stressful for your body. So people like stay up later, they drink a little more alcohol, um, you know, things like that while they're on vacation and they still seem to feel good the next day and uh, maybe don't experience as much uh, decrease in their HRV or health. And uh, there's some theories around why that is, including like improvements in social situations, more sunlight exposure, more exercise, just general enjoyment of life, less stress. And the reason why I'm giving this story is because even though my sleep was disrupted and my HRV was lower, um, I actually felt in those early weeks when I took a little bit of time off from work and just really focused on my family and on my baby that my energy and my positivity and everything were just phenomenal. And she could, you know, babies do really irrational things all the time. Like you, sometimes you just don't understand what, why they're doing something and they don't know either. And I just found like, oh, it's all okay. Like this has just felt so natural. Um, She's crying right now. I definitely don't want her to cry. I'm trying to figure out why, but in the end, it's all going to be okay. And I don't know if that was just uh, ignorance or naivety, but um, it all just felt great. And Madeline is such a, a happy baby. She's developing nicely. So all good things. Coming back to work has been a big challenge, but yeah. um, it's it's all good. Excellent. And there's some things I, I want to hear about the future of Elite HRV here in a little bit, but uh, let's do a little bit of a recap for people because we do talk about heart rate variability on the show quite often. I'm a huge fan, obviously. And I would love to just recap before we dive into some of today's topics, just you know, HRV as a proxy for the nervous system. How does that exactly work? And why should we view it as possibly the most important metric that there is? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, you brought up the nervous system and when people think heart rate variability, they, they really tune into that heart rate because that's familiar, right? Yeah. Um, but the heart rate, your heart rate is influenced really heavily by everything that's going on around you, stress response, uh, resp- respiration, blood pressure, and especially through the nervous system. And so the nervous system is basically a central regulator and key player in your body's ability to tackle challenges. And you could think of that as a stress, stress response. And there's positive and negative stress stressors out there. And then also in your recovery from that stress and in the preparation for future stress. And so exercise is the prototypical example When you exercise, you elevate your heart rate, you kind of stress your body out a little bit. Usually it's a positive experience, hopefully. But then afterwards, you spend a lot of time recovering from that acute stress, rebuilding those muscles, um, you know, reconnecting uh, tissues, and then also uh, reaffirming new movement patterns and things like that if you've been practicing And basically what I'm getting at is that the nervous system helps you not only tackle that exercise stress, but also recover from, repair from, and prepare for the next round. And it's really, that's an important process that's not only applies to exercise, but also to cognitive stress 
emotional stress, digestive stress, um, and a lot of the other things that we experience more or less in different capacities. And bringing that back around to HRV is uh, the nervous system changes the patterns of your heartbeats between every single beat based on its detection and response to minute changes in stress or uh, minute changes in recovery or digestion, energy levels, energy regulation, and a lot of different things. So HRV is, is a very non-invasive and easy way to understand exactly what's going on in the body as far as your stress response goes and your overall condition. Some people say it's, um, I mean, some people say it's actually clinically validated now as the most comprehensive biomarker for health that you can measure at home, uh, non-invasively. And yeah, it's just, it's a powerful tool. So before we get into some of those tools and discerning what tools are right, what do you think, or in based on your experience in doing this with thousands of people, what are some of the things that people get wrong when they start measuring HRV? Like how do they interpret the data wrong? What, what do you wish people knew about HRV when they're looking at their data? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's potentially a lot to unpack there, but I'll give a few bullet points and then you can let me know if you want to dig in. I I will freely double click. (laughs) Cool. Um, So uh, first thing to wrap your head around is that generally if you're measuring HRV when you're at rest and and you're not under stress at the moment, you want more variability. So you want higher HRV, right? And so that's the first thing to kind of wrap your head around Um, You can think of that as like, okay, when you're stressed, you really need to deliver the right things to the right places at the right time within the body. Your heart rate elevates. It needs to be very consistent so that you can perform, right? And then when you're relaxed, you can kind of uh, let your heart rate lower, uh, let your blood pressure go down, your blood glucose go down, and things can become a little bit more variable and flexible. So um, that's the first thing to wrap your head around. But from there, people often make the mistake of saying that higher HRV is always better. And that's just not true. And so uh, in general, you do want to increase your HRV over time or at least not decrease it. And if, let's say, you're experiencing a lot of stress and your HRV is low, then having a rebound effect where it comes back up is generally a positive thing. However, an example of when you don't want it to just jump up is when you have like a strong immune system response, for example. And so um, if, if you have some type of pathogen or ailment uh, in the body that isn't uh, registering as a stress response, but you are getting a strong immune response, that can actually hike up HRV sort of artificially. And if all you care about is increasing HRV, you're like, oh, great. You know, but really there's actually some elevated immune activity going on there that you don't want. And so um, it's important to look for deviations from the from your own personal baseline and not just get hung up on always increasing that HRV. So I, I do have a point to make here because you see a lot of I guess prominent people on Instagram showing off their one hundred HRVs. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing from you is that HRV is relative to that person. So rather than these people bragging per se, 
it's just better to look at it in relative to yourself. Do I have that right? That's that's correct. Yeah, and that's the second biggest mistake is comparing yourself to others. And, you know, using that exact example even is that there's one uh, variable that you have a lot of control over that can really increase your HRV, but not necessarily increase your health and not necessarily increase uh, your well-being or your cognition, for example, and that's aerobic fitness. And so um, there's definitely, for most people, a benefit to increasing your aerobic fitness. So I'm not saying that you know being aerobically fit is bad. What I'm saying is that at some point you reach a threshold where continuous aerobic activity and extremely high levels of aerobic endurance are not really adding anything to your health or your wellness um, or your cognition and things like that. So, but it can continue to jack up your HRV, so to speak. So, there's a bit of a ceiling there. And so, again, coming back to what you're saying, yep, if you're like comparing yourself to somebody who's like an extreme endurance athlete. They might have an extremely high HRV and be older than you um, and, you know, tackling a lot of really cool things, but they're not necessarily healthier than you. And Mm -hmm. in fact, uh, Paul Larson, who we just briefly uh, nodded about before the show, uh, Mm -hmm. has co-published a paper um, called Athletes Fit But Unhealthy. And it's a very popularly cited research paper because it looks at this exact phenomenon, uh, looking at the HPA axis and specifically, and uh, also HRV and some other things uh, showing that athletes can be fit, but not exactly healthy. And so, yeah. And I'd had the pleasure, and I think the episode with Paul will come out right before this one, but I had the pleasure of asking about this exact study. So you guys can take a look at that episode two with Paul Larson uh, when we get to it. Now, uh, just coming back to the original question of common things that people get wrong, is there anything else that we should add uh, yeah. to that list? So here, I'll bullet a few and you let me know which ones you want to dig into. Perfect. So another one is assuming that a low reading is always bad. That's also a mistake. Um, and then extrapolating one HRV reading to mean more than what it is. So, uh, you know, if you just take one single reading of HRV, that might be misleading. Um, and then inconsistency between readings. So if you do take multiple readings, then, uh, controlling some variables between those readings, um, people often make that mistake of not controlling enough of the variables and, It doesn't have to be perfect, but there's a few easy things you can do. Um, The other is that only measuring HRV on on quote-unquote important days. And so like if you exercise three days a week, some people get into the habit of only measuring HRV on the day that they're going to exercise. And so they're missing the other four days. And I'm not saying you have to measure it every single day without missing, but there's some interesting things you can learn um, by trying not to just be so selective. Um, yeah, let me. Uh, I'm the list can go on. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to unpack a couple of these because I think cool. some of these actually build on each other. Okay. Uh, first things first. Uh, the issue with, I guess, looking at in a single data point versus trend data. If I'm 
And there was an article by a person that I won't name at this point that basically showed you how to uh, choose your exercise based on your HRV. And at that point, they were saying, you know, if your HRV is X and it's a deviation from the day before, uh, then you may be able to do powerlifting or maybe you're better off doing endurance. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about trends versus single data points. If I wake up one morning and my HRV is, let's say, 10% less than the day before, should I be altering my thinking? Or 10% less, not even than the day before, but 10% less than the trend. Walk me through how you would actually do it if I was to use uh, HRV for workouts. You don't have time for that 45-minute jog. Frankly, who jogs anymore? You need something fast, efficient, and leaves you wanting more. My favorite tool for this, and I love it, is the Carol. She is a life-changing bike that provides you all the endurance you need in two 20-second bursts. Yes, you heard that correct. That's 40 seconds of max effort. Including the warm-up and cool-downs, you get a kick-ass workout in 8 minutes and 40 seconds. How? The Carol is a resistance bike powered by artificial intelligence, which personalizes and optimizes the resistance so you hit your maximum intensity levels and maximize glycogen depletion every single time. The proof is really in the pudding. Carol's effectiveness was independently verified by the American Council on Exercise. I gave the Carol bike a spin at Health Optimization Summit in London this year, and she kicked my ass so much that I had to get one. Check out Carol at carolfitai.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-F-I-T-A-I.com. If you have limited time and want a kick-ass workout, which basically everyone that listens to this show does, use the code DECODING150 for a $150 discount. Head over to carolfitai.com to secure yours. Yeah, um, so yeah, if let's say if you've only taken one HRV reading, then in my opinion, that's not enough information to change your workouts or change basically much about your life unless it's extremely low. If, it, if your HRV is extremely low, then I would probably prioritize getting some help to look at a lot of different variables in your life, but mm-hmm. Um, but once you've taken a few readings over time and you start to get a baseline established for yourself, you know, a good rule of thumb or heuristic is to just take about a week of readings. And what I mean is taking like a one minute or a couple minute reading each morning for like five days in a week, so to speak. Uh, that's kind of a nice like heuristic for establishing a baseline. And then from there is if your HRV drops really heavily on a, on a morning compared to that baseline, then you can kind of infer that, and there's some nuance to this, but you can kind of infer that your body's under a little bit more stress than usual. You have a little bit more sympathetic activation potentially going on or potentially a little less parasympathetic activation and those are two branches of the nervous system, which I think we talked about in the first episode. We did, yeah. Um, and so uh, what you can infer from that is, okay, if 
this is where it gets a little complicated or deep. If you're a new trainee or if you're only training a couple days a week, you might choose to still train anyways, even if that, you know, even if your HRV is a little lower on that day. But what you if you do do that, you definitely need to actively try to recover from that training. And so what that HRV is kind of warning you is that if you just train and then go about your normal routine and continue like your basic levels of recovery or your basic sleep schedule and you don't really prioritize recovery, is that in all likelihood, some of that training is going to be wasted effort. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because when your body's already under a lot of stress, if you add more stress to it, it's now having to put even more resources towards just general recovery from all sources. And so exercise being one of those sources, other life stressors being other sources, digestion, inflammation, whatever chronic health condition you might have, all of these things are drawing from the same pool in mm-hmm. different ways. But in general, you can kind of think of it that way. Um, and it also depends on the type of exercise. So for some people, exercise is actually very restorative. If you're just doing some mobility work or some light skill work or playing really uh, low intensity sport that you just really enjoy, um, all of these things can be actually more restorative than stressful and good choices on that day. Uh, but if you're if you're really serious about your training and you're doing some targeted training towards an event or towards some specific fitness goal, for example, and you train regularly and you consider yourself either an intermediate or advanced trainee, then I would consider on that day when your HRV is lower and 10% is like another good heuristic, if your HRV is about 10% lower than your baseline or more, then I would consider either shifting um, the focus of your training to be something more restorative or less intense or, or lower volume potentially. Um, or again, you can choose to train through it and try to prioritize re- recovery tactics, do some biohacking afterwards, um, or just keep on your schedule because if you're in a really advanced athlete, what you end up wanting to do is look at things on a little bit bigger picture than every single day. If you're training daily, it becomes a little bit uh, cumbersome to like tweak your plan every single day. So what you do is then you look at kind of like a weekly view or a multi-day view and say, okay, I'm going to like train at this volume this week and measure my HRV throughout and see how my recovery patterns look and how my baseline has shifted. And then next week, maybe I'll lighten the volume a little bit Uh, across the entire week because that way I can still get training in and still kind of grease the groove, but I don't, uh, you know, I can let my body prioritize recovery a little bit better. So I hope I didn't confuse everybody listening because there's so many verticals and so many variables to consider. But again, it all comes back to that looking at the context of your individual situation And, you know, the best way to do that is to either work with a great coach or do a ton of research or, um, and in our case, we're trying to automate and build a lot more of that intelligence right into our app. Uh, But that was actually another thing on the list was not, not using appropriate context. (laughs) There you go. 
There you go. Let's, uh, I want to go now into devices because we talked a little bit about devices last time. And one of the feedbacks or questions that I, I get is like, what is the best device? Uh, and I think last time you made a comment about wrist wearables, but also looking at what what is the best device or app uh, to measure my HRV and, you know, practical tips to kind of evaluate these devices for people. And I do have a specific question after this. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, again, com- coming back to context is it depends on what your goals are. And yeah. I'll give you a few examples. And um, there are some devices that, uh, well, you know, well, let's, let's start with our device because we have a pretty clear message about what what to use it for. Mm-hmm. Um, CoreSense is a device that slips on your finger. It's designed for accurate HRV measurements at rest. So mm-hmm. you're not going to be swimming while you're wearing it. You're not going to be exercising while you're wearing it. It's to help you do quick and accurate snapshots of HRV. And so the idea there is that you can use it for uh, morning readiness uh, readings. So if you're like going to wake up in the morning and measure your baseline HRV, you can do that. If you want to do little short biofeedback sessions where you just pop it on and do different breathing exercises, it's accurate and valid for that. Um, but again, you're not going to wear it during exercise or during really long events. You probably wouldn't wear it during like an entire business meeting, for example, although some people do. Um, and I would like to meet those people, by the way. It would be, it'd be <laughs> yeah. interesting to just see them across the table, right? Wearing <laughs> Exactly. And so, you know, for those use cases where exercise or swimming, you know, I come back to swimming because I also am trying to picture people wearing the corsets while swimming. <laughs> um, <laughs> we do, we have had that question and it's okay to ask questions, but. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a chest strap is really your best option to measure HRV in those scenarios, though. So anytime you're moving, anytime you're um, exercising, anytime you're in a business meeting or a presentation, I've actually worn chest straps during public speaking events and recorded my HRV um, because, you know, public speaking, people say, is like the one thing people fear more than death. And... um, the good news is that's not the case for me. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, how did Jason Moore do public speaking? <laughs> what was really cool is I can show demos during that time and show that um, I do, in fact, experience a stress response during public speaking. Although I, I happen to have somewhat of a, also a parasympathetic response to certain stressors, which is mm-hmm. abnormal, but is something that happens for people. And so my HRV numbers stay pretty good during speaking and my heart rate stays pretty low for for that activity. Um, But you can tell that the pattern is quite erratic. Mm -hmm. And then what I'll do is I'll start breathing in a certain pattern, which is kind of hard to speak while doing, but just really being intentional about the depth of my breath and, and accessing my diaphragm. And immediately people can see the increase in HRV or the change in the pattern of my HRV that becomes much more recognizable around that kind of resonant breathing frequency. And uh, people's eyes usually get really wide when I do that. And uh, it's a really cool way to demonstrate HRV and the, the power of the biofeedback aspect of it. 
Um, but it's only one small fraction of how you can use HRV. Um, so go ahead. I think, a- I think you just seeded an idea for me because I'm speaking in a couple of places in the next couple of months. And, uh, that was a great sentence, by the way, a couple of places in a couple of months. <laughs> and, you know, a various variety have, of places. Exactly. Various variety of places. Uh, I, I do have a, a device that may allow me to, to project that on screen and, and give, especially when I'm talking about the future of work, this could be a very interesting idea, but let's, uh, you mentioned a phrase, the, the buzz phrase that I want to get into, but before we do that, uh, heart math, I I've looked into it a little bit. I'm trying to, you know, back out the algorithm, et cetera. Just, you know, see, see the device because it, it is used so widely. What's your general opinion on the technology? Because, you know, we have had extremely effective results with it, mm-hmm. but uh, just because it's universally used, I would love to hear your opinions. Yeah, and um, I guess this kind of helps round out the discussion of devices as well, because, yeah. uh, you know, we talked about the core sense and uh, it being very accurate for snapshots. You can also see the raw data. Same with chest straps. You can also use chest straps for a snapshot, but it's not very convenient, um, and you can get the raw data from those. Then you have uh, wrist wearables, and I'll end on heart math, but you have devices that are kind of meant to be worn on the hand or wrist all the time for convenience, and they're usually tracking other things besides heart rate and HRV. And those devices are uh, essentially the best time for HRV for those devices is when you're asleep. Mm -hmm. And so... When you're perfectly still, not moving uh, during that deep sleep phase, especially, is when those devices may be able to capture HRV data. The problem is with that is that you can't really much control when that happens or what position your body's in and things like that. So there's some confounding factors there. Mm -hmm. But I'm not saying that that invalidates them. I'm just saying those are things to consider um, when you see deviations in the data. And... um, so then coming back around to HeartMath, which they have an ear clip and uh, some other ways to access uh, what they call HRV data. And this, uh, as a quick aside, brings up a, a thing that I think we covered in the first round of this, which is that HRV is an umbrella term. And yeah. there's a lot of statistical values underneath that term, heart rate variability. And there's a lot of different ways that you can measure, calculate, estimate, and quantify HRV. And there's a lot of ways that algorithms and sensors can manipulate the data to different outcomes. And so when you're looking at a device like HeartMath and a platform like HeartMath, you know, they were very early in bringing HRV to the consumer market. And a lot of their intention and, you know, they can correct me if I'm misinterpreting this, but is around uh, bringing awareness to your breathing patterns, bringing awareness to mindfulness and some of the emotional side of things. And uh, at the time they started all this, the sensors were still developing uh, as far as accuracy goes and the amount of data that you can get out of them. And I think that they found their niche, so to speak, in just helping bring awareness to that breath and to that the mindfulness practices and things like that. And 
So I think that they haven't necessarily continued to evolve with the sensor technology as far as getting really accurate statistical data out of the sensor in different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'll just leave it at that. But essentially, as far as use cases goes, you know, they do a good job of helping people bring awareness to that breathing patterns and how those, you know, they have a term coherence that they like to use, um, which happens to coincide very closely with the concept of resonant frequency breathing, uh, which we can dig into more in a bit. But, um, you know, it's kind of like um, a lot of uh, gyms and boot camp classes are now incorporating animal movement patterns into their... uh, Thank you, you Daryl Edwards. Yeah. And (laughs) and so people like Daryl are really aware of what they're doing when they are guiding people through that. But a lot of like your kind of boot camp in a box people are just like, oh, I've heard movement, animal movements are good. So I'm just going to like have people crawl around and they don't necessarily know uh, in a targeted way what they're doing or they can't really quantify or put their finger on exactly why their clients are benefiting from doing that. But it doesn't mean that it's wrong. The problem is, is again, extrapolating that out to say like, okay, if I'm a boot camp in a box instructor that hopefully I'm not offending anyone by saying that term, but if uh, it's okay. I think Greg Glassman did this like 20 years ago when he offended everybody at the Globo gym. So <laughs> okay. somebody has already paved the way for you. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm not uh, demeaning this line of work or this form of exercise um, because it's helped a lot of people, but you don't want to take that concept of uh, animal movement patterns and then say, okay, since it's helping a lot of people who normally just do bicep curls, um, it should probably also help people who have back injuries. And now we're going to just take everyone who has an injury and have them crawl around in the same way, right? You can't extrapolate it that way. And so I think to coming back to the heart math question is, this is not an attack on heart math. This is uh, they're doing awesome stuff, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't take you know the data that you get from that and extrapolate it to say that a change in your heart math session is going to inform uh, how you train in your exercise. Aside from the fact that it can also bring awareness to your breathing and stuff during that. Yeah, and, and look, I've. Um... I've done more than my own fair share of self-quantification. You can just take a look at my hands right now, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, I I do use heart math for breathing, and I find it extremely effective in that arena. Yep. But to your point, to kind of passport it over and say, okay, what type of workout should I do today? It's not the data point that I go to right, uh, right away. But there's been a buzzword that you've kind of cleverly layered into conversation throughout, you know, the past 30 minutes together. And that's this concept of resonance frequency. And I know you and I exchanged emails because uh, Josh Waitzkin, you know, chess wonder kid mentioned this on Tim Ferriss and I got all giggly because this is an idea that I want to play with. Can we talk about resonance frequency and why this is so cool? Yeah, so 
resonance frequency um in general there's just so much interest now in breathing and mindfulness and meditation and um you're seeing a collision of some uh sort of ancient wisdom so to speak and modern biohacking um that's happening around this space and the term resonance frequency is becoming more and more popular and essentially like if we break it down a little bit um resonance frequency is describing in physics or mechanical engineering and things like that uh a natural vibration or oscillation that occurs in an object especially if you can create a model where it's in a vacuum and doesn't have friction and all this other stuff but essentially an example is a pendulum on a clock or a child swinging on a swing is that those uh motions are very close to a resonant pattern because they oscillate fairly equally back and forth in time and a vibration could be you know a much tighter movement but in the sense it's equal amplitude on both sides is kind of a way you can visualize that resonant movement mm-hmm. and for humans um what we're talking about is a fairly complex system and uh and I'll I'll bring that concept back in a second but we're looking at the interaction between the cardiovascular system the respiratory system the autonomic nervous system uh which is a branch of the nervous system and all of these systems as they work together around changes in heart rate that create a resonant frequency pattern and so uh what that means and i don't know if you want to uh how you want to approach this but we can talk about either the benefits of doing this first or how to measure it or like what's happening in the body when it, when it's happening i don't know pick your choose your let, adventure let, let's let's go what's happening in the body and then we'll kind of and for those listening you'll see you can't see my hand gestures right now but we're <laughs> we're going to go through what's happening in the body how to determine it and then the benefits let's okay. go that way all right so Jason, I'm all yours. What is actually happening to my body when I'm breathing at a resonance frequency? Okay, so there's some as with anything in the body, I'll just say that there are certain uh specific things that we know are happening, but the overall uh state of rev- resonance frequency um or coherence depending on how you're talking about it it's not entirely known and so it's like the sum is greater than the parts so to speak but we do mm-hmm. understand what some of the parts are mm-hmm. and so one of the things that's happening is uh it's really big is that your breathing is in a certain pattern right and so um i guess this will come back when we're measuring when we talk about how to measure this but the main input for achieving a resonant frequency pattern within your heart rate and your heart rate variability is by manipulating your breathing. And so when you breathe in a certain pattern, you know, you may not uh be surprised to hear that typically it has the same inhale and exhale rate uh that achieve, helps you achieve this resonant frequency. And we'll talk about the exact rates in a second, but that actually has a profound impact when it synchronizes with your uh barrel reflex in the body. 
And the quick science on the baroreflex is that that there are receptors in your blood vessels that measure blood pressure. And when you're inhaling and your blood pressure increases um, and heart rate increases, those baroreceptor ref- uh, baroreceptors cause a reflex that then stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system to calm down the heart and slow it down, which then lowers your blood pressure as you're exhaling as well. And so, again, all of these systems operate uh, independently, but also in synchrony, and it's pretty complex. But when you breathe at a resonant frequency pattern, you start to create synchrony between your changes in blood pressure and your breath. And what you're doing is you're optimizing the uh, efficiency of oxygenation of the blood um, when your uh, blood reaches your lungs and uh, is oxygenated through the alveoli, you're uh, experiencing like a, a peak oxygenation and saturation at that point. So it's creating a ton of efficiency there. Um, and just generally, you see a lot of system-wide efficiencies and metabolic energy savings that happen. Um, and then at the same time, during, uh, the nervous system is experiencing a very unique um, state of activation where both branches of the autonomic nervous system are in full play, so to speak. And so you're releasing the brakes on either side of your nervous system and uh, able to access both recovery uh, features of the nervous system and calming features as well as those performance features. So later we'll talk about how that ends up benefiting you. But um, the way that we measure all of this, you know, lo and behold, is through heart rate variability. And mm-hmm. so I talked about breath being the main variable input. Uh, when you're first learning how to do this, essentially what you want to do is kind of uh, remove a lot of distractions, try to be in a calm place and just uh, measure or just uh, breathe in a certain pattern that usually is about six breaths per minute. And that's with a fairly equal inhale to exhale ratio. So six breaths per minute, that's 15 seconds. So kind of six breaths per minute. Sorry, I'm doing this off the top of my head. So five in, five out, not, not sort of the four, six ratio that like a guy like Patrick McCowan may recommend. And, Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing necessarily wrong about a four, six ratio or any other breath ratio. It's just, mm -hmm. This is kind of what the research shows um, tends to produce a resonant frequency in people. Okay. And so this comes also, uh, there's like a resonant frequency is not a silver bullet for every goal. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a mistake that some people, um, when I talk about the benefits of it, a lot of people will then say, oh, this is like the best thing for everything. I should should breathe in resonant frequency 24-7. And that's just not true. <laughs> um, to all those listening, they're probably like, damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> well, the, the good news is, is uh, especially, you know, I'll, I'll do a shameless plug in our, what we found is that in our app, well, we can talk more about this later. We allowed people to adjust uh, breathing patterns on their own mm-hmm. um, and try to figure out different optimal optimizations for different events. And what we found after collecting millions of data points and working with thousands of people is that there are a few key patterns that people can apply in almost any situation and experience benefit. 
and we're going to build those patterns directly into the app so that people can kind of just select what it is they're trying to do and it'll help them train that automatically. And Jason, you're spoiling my future of elite HRV question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I can't help myself. No. I'm just too- uh, I mean, you're just too excited and I'm excited about that too. Exactly. Uh, so we could talk so- more about that later, but let, let's let's come back to that. I want to table that for now. We were at five seconds in, five seconds out. I interrupted you. And sort of how would I just walk me through how I'd determine this? Because if I'm laying there, let's say right after I wake up, is it five seconds in, five seconds out, got my chest strap on, my app open? What does that look like? Yep. And how do I know when I have it? Yeah, great question. So Essentially, what you're wanting to do with HRV is maximize the HRV in the moment. And so um, what that means is that there are certain uh, bands, there are certain, again, statistical values that fall under that term HRV. One of the ones that we're really looking at in this case is the high frequency and low frequency uh, oscillations of HRV in the moment. And so High frequency and low frequency, you don't need to get hung up on those terms necessarily, but we're basically uh, measuring frequency vibrations, so to speak, uh, as an illustrative way of saying it, in your HRV that occur on a sub-two-minute basis. And so the faster these vibrations occur, the higher the frequency, the slower they occur, the lower the frequency And people measure as big as 24-hour oscillations in HRV, and that's called ultra-low frequency. Um, But we won't get into that right now. So essentially what we're looking at is peak output around the 0.1 hertz band of HRV. And right now in our app, you uh, can visualize the overall HRV in in the reading Um, And you can see afterwards uh, what uh, frequency you've achieved and what power and and amplitude in that frequency. Um, But so, yeah, so basically what's going on here is you're breathing five seconds in, five seconds out. That's around six breaths per minute. There are some nuance to that. So, uh, again, I've been talking to Dr. Leah Lagos, who really uh, does a lot of work in this space and is connected with Josh, who you mentioned earlier. Um, But she and I have been talking about um, creating some better specificity around some of these recommendations. But um, in general, she recommends uh, that there may be up to a tenth of a second uh, or a tenth of a breath (laughs) difference that that needs to be manipulated uh, for you to find your individual resonant frequency. And so Mm -hmm. in the research... Sorry if I'm muddying the, muddying the waters mm. here, but no, I, I I'm fascinated by this. Keep going. The research shows that essentially uh, changes in or differences in blood volume, for example, like larger people versus smaller people, or people who are more hydrated versus people who are dehydrated, um, and then stroke volume on the heart and uh, blood pressure and other variables cause very small. Uh, deviations from that six breaths per minute in different individuals that actually helps them achieve a resonant frequency. So it may be that for you, it's a little faster than six breaths per minute or a little bit slower. 
Um, but six is a great place to start and something that's a little bit easier to count. And then in our app, you can adjust it a little bit more uh, minutely if you want. But and so and so in the app, the marker that I'm looking towards again is is the Hertz marker. Or what, what what am I looking at on the screen in order to say like, hey, that's it right there. So you're looking at two main things, and one is the HRV number, mm-hmm. and so. I'm talking about live during the reading. The beauty of this is that you can get almost real-time biofeedback to see if you're doing this right. And so you breathe in a certain pattern and you try to maximize that HRV score to an extent. So um, a true resonant frequency may actually not maximize it uh, compared to that like 4-6 pattern, for example. Mm -hmm. So that longer exhale may actually get the HRV score a little bit higher. But in general, compared to natural breathing, a resonant frequency is going to increase your HRV score uh, dramatically. And so mm-hmm. you'll see that HRV score going up. And then the other thing that you'll see, and again, I know folks can't see my hands, so I'm doing a lot of hand-waving while describing this, but um, is a we'll, very... We'll draw it out for them or something. We'll there you go. Yeah. A really smooth up and down of your heart rate visualized during the reading. And so mm-hmm. uh, we show real-time changes in your heart rate during the reading. And you can see as you inhale, your heart rate increasing. And as you exhale, your heart rate decreasing. You want the inhale and the exhale pattern to be almost sinusoidal if we want to get math mathy with our terms i was gonna use that term so you stole it from me there you go and uh and if you think about my analogy with the child swinging or the pendulum on the clock you want the increases and the decreases to look almost the same and so you Mm. want it to look very resonant (laughs) as far as you don't want it to be like a short up and a big down you want it to be like a very uh equal up and down pattern of your HRV and your heart rate during that breathing session. And so that may be hard to listen to me describe and visualize, but you'll see it as soon as you do it. You'll be like, oh, this is the pattern. It makes complete sense now. I can totally see it. You want to maximize that pattern using your breath. And then you also want to increase that HRV number. And then Mm -hmm. afterwards, you can dig into the data a little bit and see how well you actually increase the peak output in a certain frequency. And the certain frequency that you're looking for in the detailed results is the 0.1 hertz band of HRV frequency. And so this is where you start to get a little bit into the weeds. And I actually, in practice, kind of steer people away from this at first because it's just there's a lot of variables. There's, it's, it's easy to get hung up on, on different specifics around this. But um, around the 0.1 hertz of HRV, you're sort of hot wiring your cardiovascular, respiratory, and nervous systems. And you're using your respiratory sinus arrhythmia and the baroreflex to do that. And again, that may sound like completely a foreign language to a lot of people, and that's okay. It's again in the moment, just focusing on breathing, making that HRV score go up, and making that nice smooth up and down pattern appear in your heart rate. And you'll kind of, again, coming back to my public speaking example, 
people's eyeballs kind of bulge a little bit sometimes when they realize how much of an impact their breathing has on their heart rate. And mm-hmm. you can you can dramatically change your heart rate by changing your breathing. And, you know, people use this concept even to try to beat lie detector tests, for example. Um, and, uh, yeah, we can dig into the benefits of resonant frequency in a second, but uh, it's really fascinating to see while you're measuring it in real time. So... I, look, I'm fascinated. This is one of the reasons why I reached out to you about this. But Dr. Leo Lagos, you mentioned earlier, said this could be impacted by as much as a tenth of a breath, right? <clears throat> Seems to me like you're going to have to do a lot of gamifying to figure out exactly what the the right breath rhythm is. Uh, but the the key here, if we were to break down a formula for people, in order for them to to start start playing around with this. It's start breathing at sort of that six breaths per minute frequency, equal, five in, five out, and then maybe play around with it from there. And I I think you're going to need a watch in order to do this. Otherwise, like, how could you ever determine it? Do I have that right? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends. Like, if you're using our app, there's a timer going at the bottom. So, yeah. And you can also... (laughs) You can also set the breath uh, rates um, in our app. So then mm-hmm. just follow the visualization or the audio cues and you don't have to think about it. Um, you don't even have to really connect a heart rate monitor to our app to actually look at those. Um, so if you want to just do it without any biofeedback, then you can. Um, there's also other No apps. data. Who does that? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's a... Uh, the data actually I do find really helps to train it um, mm-hmm. because of that small variation. Yeah. And so I want to talk just a second about that real quick. Yeah, let's do that. And, um, you know, if you think of the 80-20 rule, which, you know, applies to some things, most things, but not everything. But in this case, if you're just doing that six breaths per minute, that's going to get you the 80-20 benefit, Right. And similar to, again, bringing up those animal movement patterns, uh, if you're a generally healthy person that can safely do animal movement patterns, doing those and playing and doing natural movement is going to get you like 80-20 results. That's like the 20% that gets you 80% of the results. But a lot of us are really interested in that other 20%, right? Of course. And like... Especially people who are trying to be very successful in business or very successful in their sport or day trading, financial trading, or public speaking. A lot of these kind of things that we don't necessarily realize are high performance events. Those are the times you really want to dig into the details of finding your actual tenth of a breath uh, exact um, pattern. But to know that you're doing it right, uh, you can start with the basics and get get going from there, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, basically, that's a good place to start. That's all I wanted to say. Absolutely. <laughs> and one of these days, we're going to have Leah on the show as well. Maybe we'll have both of you on the show at once so we can just have this giant biofeedback session. Uh, but that would be something fantastic to do. Let's talk about the benefits of this resonance frequency because it, it does, I mean, there are benefits. You mentioned a couple of them right there, uh, day trading and how it affects that, uh, public speaking, 
et cetera. But what are some of the other benefits that we get from this resonance frequency? Yeah, so um, you can kind of think about it as uh, the main kind of theme being a state of calm performance, right? Mm-hmm. And so when somebody is doing a golf swing, um, they their body is performing an extremely pre- precise and high-performance movement, um, but they need to be calm in order to consistently do it effectively. And so golf is a, a golf swing, a basketball free throw. Um, examples like that are times where uh, the research shows that the people who are best at it actually are naturally finding a resonance uh, frequency breathing pattern in many cases. But in general, they're also very optimized on their nervous system, uh, having both branches fully active. And so that state of calm performance can have so many benefits even outside of physical sports. Um, Because again, it it brings like that uh, strong and fast execution of the brain to to bear um, as well. And so Mm -hmm. do you want me to dig a little more into that or you want me to keep going on some of the benefits? Yeah, keep keep going on the benefits and then I'll uh, I'll pick your brain on a few more questions before we... We break for the day. Sure. So um, this has also been shown not only to have like uh, very good performance benefits for cognitive athletes is kind of what a term I've learned um, from Steve Ward on my podcast, but uh, used for day trading, business, um, relationship uh, situations where you want to be able to engage intellectually in, in a relationship with another human, but also not... Uh, let your emotions overcome your ability to participate. And so that's the another benefit is you help, you're helping control the physiological response to changes in your emotion. So you can experience emotion and still uh, get all the benefits of emotion without letting it completely override your kind of more rational decision-making or your more, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, executive function. Mm-hmm. Um, it's correlated with resilience to stress. So you handle stress better. It's correlated with toning of the vagus nerve, which is a very important nerve in the body that, um, there's a whole podcast we could do about the vagus nerve. Um, we've already, we've had, uh, Navaz Habib come in and talk a lot about that. So okay, we, we can definitely talk about vagus nerve again. I'm happy to, but keep going. I interrupted you. No worries. Um, As well as increases in HRV, especially in stressful situations. Um, So again, kind of that resilience, closing that loop on the resilience. And then even positive applications for anxiety and depression and other kind of uh, things that are labeled as mood disorders, for example. Um, So not even just the high performance, but also restoring natural performance under... um, pathogenic situations. Jason, this has been an incredible lesson. I've got page at least of notes here and calculations and things I'm going to go play, play around with. I want to transition now into a couple of final questions and you've had the pleasure of being on the show before. So you've seen some of these final questions. Uh, So I'm going to substitute. uh, I'll have a substitute question for you. And that first substitute question if you will, is just because you are who you are, what are three things that people could do today to increase their HRV? 
if the goal was resilience? If the goal is resilience, I would say train your ability to activate that resonant frequency. And so the key word there is train it. It's not to just do it once, right? And so this is a nice segue if I can do, I'm, a, I'm big on side rabbit holes here. So uh, so am I. So let's, <laughs> we, we, we have a wormhole right here. Let's dive in. The, the last point about measuring uh, HRV with regard to resonant frequency is that if you only measure in the moment of that biofeedback session, you're actually missing some of the picture. And measuring your HRV over time with that baseline and uh, measuring the improvements of it over time with relation to the full context of your life is actually how you know if that practice is causing a lasting, meaningful effect on your health and on your baseline function. Mm -hmm. And so again, if you, uh, Steve Ward is a guy you can look up. Um, he's based out of London. He works with day traders, but he's a really fascinating guy. Um, and I can't remember if we said it in the podcast episode or not, but he said there's a difference between ability and capacity, I think, think were the two ways that he put it. Um, but essentially is your ability is like if you're operating at 100% capacity, right? The problem is most people are operating at 50% capacity or, or worse, Right, they don't even know what 100% feels like. Right? right, they don't, and so people are obsessed with increasing ability while they're only running at 50% capacity. Mm-hmm. And so, imagine if you could double your output or double your uh, ability or your perceived ability by just increasing your capacity. And so, that's why I'm bringing it back around training your HRV in the moment is great for resetting the nervous system and performing in that moment. But if you want to increase your overall baseline capacity, raise your overall uh, performance level, then measuring HRV over time is really where you can learn to do that better. And so hopefully <laughs> that's a good uh, bullet point one for your answer. And then the other two things to increase HRV are uh, around sleep and uh the biggest two there are managing your exposure to temperature and light. Mm-hmm. And so increasing core temperature during the day, decreasing core temperature at night, fluctuating core temperature and having your nervous system respond to that. Um, and then um, getting more sunlight during the day and less bright light at night. Two big inputs. I find that if a lot of people do that, they experience dramatic increases in HRV independent of other variables. Um So that's a great one. And then the third one is aerobic fitness. Um, So if you're an ultra endurance athlete, sorry, you've probably already done this one. But for the rest of us, generally most people can uh, benefit from improving their aerobic fitness levels. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and jog all day. It just means move more for most people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well said, well said. Going back to the rapid fire questions now, mm-hmm. and these are the new ones that you haven't heard yet. Favorite piece of technology that you've purchased in the past year? It can be a stroller if you really want to say that. <laughs> oh, baby things. Oh, man. This, this <laughs> no, ma- opens whole new doors. We, 
Well, we can, I would, let's, let's hear one for you, one for dad. Okay. So I'll, I'll answer this in a weird way in the sense that I've already purchased this, but I actually have never used it. So people can take what they will from this. And that is a uh, chili pad by uh, a company that makes uh, these little pads that go on top of your bed. They mm-hmm. actually regulate the temperature of your bed and your sleep conditions. And what I found is that with a baby, I'm much more sensitive to waking up. And in our house, we just cannot figure out how to regulate the temperature well in our house. And at 2 a.m. almost every day, I wake up warm, no matter what the temperature in our house is set at. And I just want to say I'm grateful for the fact that I can set temperatures in my house. So for people who can't do that, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've lived in plenty of places yeah, where I didn't have that. Yeah, the people that live in Europe right now are probably like Jason. Yes, that's the majority of us. <laughs> yeah, and so um, again, all all situations are relative. But mm-hmm. I wake up warm, and that has been um, a big annoyance to me, especially as I'm starting to get my sleep back under control after uh, our baby is sleeping more and more. So I'm pretty excited about the chili pad and trying it out. I've heard amazing things about people improving HRV with it. Um, and I will report back later on the results. Awesome. I have one sitting in the closet, so I, I cheated already. Um, a great device. How do you unwind? Uh, unwind for me um, is going outside. So uh Exercise is a kind of key component of that. Um, just going outside, hiking, camping, uh, climbing, rock climbing is a great one. Uh, yeah. What's the best thing you have done to enhance your productivity? Ooh, lots of things. The first one was changing my diet back. 10 years ago, almost. Um, That sounds like a weird thing to say, but I feel like when in my early 20s, I started eliminating a lot of inflammatory foods from my diet. It was as if I, you know, talking about ability versus capacity, it's as if I was running at like 5% capacity cognitively Mm -hmm. before that. And whenever I, eliminated some of those inflammatory foods and cleaned up my diet. It was like I woke up for the first time, actually. And I didn't even realize how much brain fog I had until I addressed that. And I I literally attribute the success of Elite HRV and myself in various domains from business to exercise and, and relationships very strongly to that one change um, and then from there, that was kind of like my 80, 20 from there. I've done a lot more to get that other 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the biggest one in recent years. Um, having no electronics in my bedroom has been a helpful one. Um, I do, uh, I say that, but you know, chili pad is an electronic and I do use some sleep trackers and things, but what I mean is ones that you interact with mm-hmm. and also ones that, are distracting in other ways. So I've eliminated those things. That's allowed me to separate my time in the bedroom for other activities like sleeping uh, from time when I'm supposed to be concentrating 
and then I find mm-hmm. that my productivity is higher that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can go on with a bunch of other things, but let's go to the next one. Yep. And maybe I should ask your wife this question too. Okay. Favorite holiday or vacation destination? Ooh. Uh, so destination is camping. It's just anywhere that is camping. Mm-hmm. I love camping. We don't do it enough. We live in some amazing camping area of the world. Um, and now that the baby's uh, sleeping a little bit more, I think we're going to try to get back after that. Boom. And that, that area of that world being Asheville, North Carolina is a beautiful place, and especially this time of year. Although I think your heat's calmed down a little bit lately, hasn't it? Yep, yep, yep. Starting to get into fall. Beautiful, beautiful weather. Yeah. Jason, absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on to talk about devices, resonance, frequency, and all kinds of things. This has been amazing. Uh, Do you mind just refreshing people? Where can we find more about you? Sure. Yep. EliteHRV.com. So that's the best place to find uh, more about my work. Uh, We pretty much pour everything we know into that business. And, um, you know, personally, I'm not very active on social media. You can go find me out there. Google like Jason Moore HRV. You'll find me on YouTube. You'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on those channels, but I'm there. Um, it's a good productivity strategy. Yes. Yeah. I like, uh, focusing on my core tribe as far as relationships goes. Um, but I have a presence out there, but elite HRV is really the best way to learn more about my work. Excellent. We'll link to all of it in the show notes, guys. Jason this is amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Boomer. I appreciate it. Always a great discussion. And let me know when you're in town. All right, superhuman. So who's whipping out their elite HRV app and trying to find their resonant breathing frequency? If you go over the show notes on this one, decodingsuperhuman.com slash elite HRV2, leave me a comment when you find it. I would love to hear more about how you found the exercise that Jason laid out in the episode and how you're able to find your resonant breathing frequency. Again, the show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash elitehrv2. And I have two favors to ask. If you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend. Share it with many friends. And the second favor is, if you really enjoyed the episode, head on over to iTunes. We could use your help in getting more ratings. Yes, we would love for you to leave a five-star rating with a comment. And let us know what you think about the show. Show notes again are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash elite HRV2. Have an absolute